Chapter 9 of the Shakespeare Spy, Sophia Adult. I dumped the horsey ring into the ditch that ran through down the center of Gracious Street. This ditch had been designed to carry rainwater and, along with it, household wastes and the contents of slop jars downhill into the homes. It did not fulfill its function very well, mainly because some owners tossed it in, tossed into it all sorts of inappropriate objects, some too large to be washed away by anything short of a flood, flood, animal hides and guts, dead dogs, broken crockery, moldy straw from bed ticks, and the like. Some folk felt that the plague was caused by a corrupted air. If they were correct, then the city gutters must be prime breeding ground for the disease. But the corrupted air theory was only one of many. Astrologers blamed some particular management of the stars. Though others depending upon their own religious convictions claimed that the contagion was part of a popish plot or a Jewish one or even a protestant one. I had my own tentative theory about the plague and how it spread. I had noticed how often the illness was preceded by a rash of tiny red marks on the victim's limbs like so many insect bites. My old master, Dr. Bright, believed that the contagion passed from person to person by means of invisible plague seeds. Though he was not a particularly good physician, I suspected that, for once, he had stumbled upon the truth. Perhaps, then, the seeds could be convied not only through the air, but also through the bites of mosquitoes, fleas, bed bugs, and things the like that carried the seeds within them. After all, these insects were at all their worst in the summer months, when the plague was also at its peak. I had converted our housekeeper, Goodwife Willingson, to my way of thinking, and she had begun a crusade against all manner of bugs. <laughs> So far, her tactics had worked. Since Sanders' death, no one in Mr. Bope's household had been stricken. It remained to be seen whether or not they continued to work once the hot weather returned. Just to be safe, Goody Willingson insisted that we have our daily spoonful of sage, rue, and ginger steeped in wine and that we take the time-honored precaution of wearing about our necks small pulmonders filled with warm wood and rosemary. I wondered whether she might know of some such measure of that might take to avoid being stricken by love. But perhaps it was too late for that. Perhaps I needed not pretty need not preventive but a cure.
Each time Judith's face entered my mind, though in truth I couldn't believe it, I ever quite it ever quite left. A curious feeling came over me, not unlike the one that always gripped me. Just before I was, I was due on the stage. It was impossible to define. It was such a mingle mangle of conflicting emotions, anticipation and uncertainty, eagerness and dread, pleasure and pain. A rapping sound brought me out of my revere. I turned to see Mr. Shakespeare beckoning me from within the dark parlor. I skirted out the mug with snow and went inside. Mr. Shakespeare had obviously continued working on his unnamed play, or at least had attempted to. The booth was littered with wads of crumpled paper. The stack of completed pages, though, seemed no thicker than before. He was not writing now, only staring to his ale pot as though like Madame Lavision's scrying wall. It might tell him how to proceed. Did you want me to transcribe for you then? I asked. Not really. His voice echoed a little in the empty tank hard. Unless you can think of, of something yourself to set down. I certainly can't. Nothing that isn't a pile of putrid tragedy at any rate. I perfused a few uncrumpled pages. Perhaps, perhaps I knew found somewhere quiet. What I need, he replied sharply, is not somewhere quiet. What I need is a distant story to work with, something with a bit of life to it. Plays should be a Plays should not be about money. He flickered the pages contemplatively with one finger. They should be about, about madness, betrayal, about love and death. Yes, like Hamlet. Hamlet. Yes, like Hamlet. He rubbed his high forehead as though it pained him. Unfortunately, money is the thing that is uppermost in my mind these days. Perhaps I was trying to purge myself by writing about it. He gathered up a wadded papers. But it's not your concern. The reason I called you in was to ask about another sort of favor. Gladly. What is it? I want to escort my daughter to my lodgings. You know where I live? I... The corner of the silver, the corner of silver and Monkswell, Monks, Monkswell Street in Cripplegate. I've sent her trunk on ahead, along with the notes to the. Mr. Shakespeare broke off as someone approached the booth. Of. The scent of cloves infused the air around us. Judas slid in next to me. I kept my eyes on the table, certain that the expression on my face would be a foolish one. You were saying, Father? She prompted. 
I was saying that I've sent your trunk to my lodgings, along with the notes to Madame Montjoy, asking if she will kindly put up for you a f- um put you up for a few days. I would rather I would rather you had said a few weeks. Judith picked up his tankard and peered into see into it to see whether any ale remained. <laughs> I snatched up that mug and held it uh, that uh, the mug that had held the horsery, lest she decided decide to examine it too. In fact, she said. I'm not at all sure that I won't decide to stay in London indefinitely. Mr. Shakespeare appeared alarmed by this protest. Prospect. Oh, have you discussed this with your mother? Of course not. She'd have, she'd have had a seizure. Judith gave a long-suffering sigh. Oh, father. You know that Stafford is like. Aside from mother, she's there's absolutely no one and nothing that there that holds the slightest interest for me. She gave an in, uh, she gave an impish smile. And honestly, sometimes even mother can be a bit tiresome. Mister Shakespeare did his best not to look amused. All the same, I don't think it would be wise to stay in London. What would you do with yourself? I don't know. Be a gatherer for the Globe, perhaps. I'm good at managing money. On what you send us, I've had to be. That's enough of that, Mr. Shakespeare snapped. Judith's smile faded, and she looked down at her lap as though a trifle ashamed of her impudence, but only a trifle. Now her father continued, "I've asked Gwidge to accompany you to the Mountjoy's." Judith gave Judith's gaze met his again, and it seemed puzzled, reproachful. "You've asked Gwidge." I thought that you would. Now, Mr. Shakespeare was the one to look away. I'm sorry, as I've told you, I'm very busy just now, as we we have a share of meeting shortly. We must come to a decision on whether or not to raise an admission per price of the plays. Oh. Well, I can see how that you would be more important than squaring me about. She slid from the booth and held out a hand to him. Come then, Wedge. You'll no doubt be 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 better company anyway. Though Mr. Shakespeare pretended to ignore his fa his daughter's barbed remark, I could tell from the way he stiffened. Slightly, and that it struck its mark. As I got to my feet, Judith said to her father in a voice as cool as cucumber, "I trust you 
I trust you were able to make some arrangements for Mr. Garrett? Yes, Van Johnson has volunteered to take him in. Good. She slipped her arm through mine. I suppose I'll see you after the performance this evening, Father? Yes. You needn't wait up for me, though. I may be late. Of course. She swept out of the parlor, hauling me with her. After fetching our clothes, we passed through the courtyard and into French Church Street. Judith drew in a deep breath of the cool air and put on a semblance of a smile. Parents can be so vexing, particularly fathers. Don't you agree? I, I wouldn't can, I murmured. What do you mean? I was not anxious to reveal how little I knew of my mother and father and their station of life. Mistress McGregor, who ran the orphanage when I grew up, had given me a crucifix my, my mother once wore, inscribed with the name Sarah. Jamie Redsaw had told me a few more things about my mother, but whether or not any of them were true, I could not say any more than I could say whether anything he had said about himself was true. Judith peered into my downturned face, making me so flustered that I missed my footing and and very nearly sent us stumbling into the path of a coaster monger's cart. Sorry, I mumbled. Never mind. I want to know what you meant of, uh, when you said you wouldn't can. That means I wouldn't know. I can that. But why wouldn't you know? Because I, because I would have left it at that. But the way her bright blue eyes were fixed upon me somehow made a wish to tell her everything that was in my mind and in my heart, all in one great wish. Because my mother died warning me, and my father, well, I'm not exactly certain who my father was. She bit her lip. I see. You're an orphan then. I, I, I admitted mournfully, half expecting her to pull away, as though I confessed the, to being a bearer of some dread disease. To my surprise, she drew even closer and patted my arm. But that's not such a bad thing, is it? I mean, if you don't know who your parents are, then they might be anyone, mightn't they? Who knows, perhaps you're illuminate son of some great lord with piles and piles of money. <laughs> would that be, uh, would that were so, I said fervently, then I might hope to. My voice broke then, and perhaps it was just as well, for I had been about to say something I had no business of saying, or even thinking, that if I were rich and noble, of a noble birth, and not a poor apprentice, who no prospects beyond my next role, when uh, then there were 
be some chance, however small, that I might win her affections. What? She urged. What would you hope for? Nothing, I said. But the knowing smile on her face led me to suspect that she had guessed my thoughts. She tossed her yellow curls. Well, in any case, I believe it doesn't matter whether a man is born high or low, not in his day and age. If you work hard to ease your weights, you can make of yourself what you will. Look at my father or Mr. Johnson. They're the sons of tradesmen, both of them, and yet they've earned both renown and respect. I didn't ken that anyone had much respect for their theater folk or even playwrights. Of course they do. My father's name and work are well regarded over England. It sounds as though you're very proud of him. I am. I may not always show it, I grant you. Even though he's a genius and all that, he can be a bit of a dolt sometimes. My mother says that it's, ju- it's not just him, it's men in general. She shook my arm playfully. Tell me, Widge, are you a dolt sometimes? Aye, more often than not, I suspect, I said glumly. Suddenly aware of how dismal her image of me must be, I rummaged through myself as Sam had rummaged through the costume trunk, searching for some admirable quality or uncommon skill that I might bring to her attention. My acting? No, she had seen a sample of that this afternoon, and I did not care to remind her. In my desperation, I resorted to a poor habit I had foolishly thought I was rid of. I lied. I'm writing a play, though. So that was chapter 9. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See ya. See ya. Later. Bye, guys.